0: Podcast. Artificial intelligence, powerful technology that can transform human lives. But industry leaders warned that the tool they built could one day pose an existential threat to humanity. So, how can governments regulate AI without stifling innovation? I'm Mohammed Jamjum, and you're listening to the Inside Story podcast, where we dissect, analyze, and help define major global stories. All right, for more on this, let's bring in our guests in London. David Kruger, assistant professor in machine learning and computer vision at the University of Cambridge, he helped draft the statement on AI risk. In New York, Sarah Myers-West, managing director of the AI Now Institute, which focuses on the social implications of artificial intelligence... And in Los Angeles, Ramesh Srinivasan, Professor of Media Information Studies at the University of California, and the founder of the research group Digital Cultures Lab. A warm welcome to you all, and thanks so much for joining us today on Inside Story. Uh, David, let me start with you today. A few days back, you, along with tech leaders and scientists, issued a warning about the perils posed by artificial intelligence. Let me go ahead and read that statement in full. It says, mitigating the risk of extinction from AI should be a global priority— alongside other societal scale risks, such as pandemics and nuclear war. So my question is, why was this warning just one sentence, and how difficult was it to get the other signatories on board?
1: Uh, Yeah, thanks for asking. So the main reason I wanted to make just a simple one sentence statement like this, um, there's actually two reasons. One is that in the past, there's been a lot of uh, discussion of AI risks and a growing amount of concern about various risks of AI. But in particular, the risk of human extinction, uh, and in particular um, from artificial intelligence sort of getting out of control, is one that I think there's been something of a taboo about discussing. So I've spoken to a number of people in private who acknowledge that they think this is a serious concern, but were uh, concerned about expressing it publicly because they felt that um, they might be viewed poorly and judged by their colleagues. Uh, and that it might also affect, like, their job prospects. So we wanted to sort of break that taboo and give everyone who was feeling these kinds of concerns uh, a place to voice them. Uh, The other reason that uh, that we decided to focus on such a short statement is because in the past, a lot of similar letters or statements have sort of included a lot of extra detail, which I consider sort of unnecessary baggage about exactly how it might lead to extinction or what we should do about that. And I think, you know... Uh, those are discussions that we should definitely be having, but people have a lot of different views on that. And I think we should focus on what we agree on here um, as a way of starting uh, a more rich discussion about those things.
0: So, David, if you are trying to get a conversation going around this issue, with a warning this stark, do you expect that you and your colleagues will be at some point issuing recommendations to go along with it?
1: Uh, No, I don't think so necessarily. I mean... I, th- I do hope that people you know, think about this and, and bring ideas to the table, but uh, a big part of what we're trying to do, I think, is engage the rest of society, policymakers and civil society, and everyone else who um, has you know, a lot of their own expertise and knowledge and network and positions that uh, they can help use to address this problem and might actually have a lot better ideas about what specifically should be done in particular in terms of regulation and international cooperation than people like me who are primarily technical researchers.
0: So, Sarah, there is obviously
1: this is like similar. Go Go ahead. ahead, Go ahead, David. Go ahead. This is similar to what Jeffrey Hinton, the Turing Award winner, uh, was saying is, you know, he's just here to sound the alarm. um, And he's hoping that, you know, other people will uh, pick up on this and, and try and figure out what we can do about it. So, Sarah, there is obviously
0: a lot of talk right now about the potential existential threats to humanity posed by artificial intelligence. Do you believe that the ways in which these discussions and debates about these concerns are being framed are actually constructive?
2: What I think is is helpful is that, you know, we're all agreeing on the need for intervention. But I am concerned that The focus on existential threats is going to draw attention and resources towards concerns that are positioned far out in the future as people are being harmed by AI systems in the here and now. AI is already widely in use. It's shaping people's lives, their access to resources, their life chances, whether they're going to receive quality health care, access to financial resources or credit well-paying jobs that impacts their education. And these are the kinds of concerns that we really need to be foregrounding and particularly addressing the ways that AI as it's widely in use today is functioning to ramp up patterns of inequality in society while rendering them even harder to see.
0: Sarah, let me follow up with you. You're talking about specific concerns in the here and now when it comes to AI. I want to ask you specifically about things like racial and gender prejudices. Uh, How much concern is there right now when it comes to AI around those specific issues?
2: We have decades of research already pointing to widespread challenges with um, gender and racial biases in tech broadly, and then specifically within artificial intelligence technologies of many different sorts. So I think that there's um, there is widespread concern and, and, you know, more than enough evidence to be able to act on. And in the United States, we've already seen some um, some activity uh, by regulators uh, in, to this exact effect. You know, the White House issued its executive order on racial equity. Um, the uh, Equal Employment Opportunity um, Commission is focusing on Um, racial and gender-based discrimination, as well as um, uh, discrimination against the disability community in the use of algorithmic systems and hiring practices. So this is already a fairly robust debate and one that we need to continue to push forward.
0: Ramesh, governments are now racing to regulate AI, but what are the concrete steps that can be taken in order to ensure that creativity and innovation are not stifled?
3: Yeah, I'm really glad you asked that. And I think if we want to discuss concerns around extinction, I think we should probably discuss what's happening with our climate and the incredible species loss we're seeing all around the planet right now. That's happening right now, and that's imminent. Um, As far as what is actually occurring, I think it's very important to note that the way um, these so-called generative AI models function is they use uh, our personal data, they're trained on human data, And they essentially replicate and identify patterns and therefore reinforce the sorts of biases and forms of discrimination uh, that were just being spoken about. So I think if we want to really think in a forward-looking way, we have to think in a public way and we have to think in a global way. And as the story mentioned earlier, we see again and again technologies being introduced dominantly by private Uh, for-profit or corporate valuation-oriented kinds of uh, innovators, and the rest of us just have to deal with the the effects of that. So another vision would be a design-oriented vision where we have stakeholders around the world, around the planet, actually together designing, regulating, auditing technologies such as this so we can ensure that it has the sort of checks, and balances built into it. So it actually serves specific purposes that help all of us that lift our species up rather than um, elevate a few of us likely at the cost of almost everybody else.
0: Ramesh, you mentioned checks and balances, which leads me to my next question. The U.S. and the EU, uh, they are drawing up a voluntary code of conduct for artificial intelligence. But if this is to be effective going forward, doesn't the tech industry have to be involved? And if so, does that call upon the tech industry to regulate itself? Because that's not something that's really worked out all that well in the past, has it?
3: You're absolutely right. It doesn't work out all that well because the technology industry's entire goal is to not necessarily be regulated or to be regulated in a way that supports its own purposes. I think we all remember quite well when the Cambridge Analytica scandal broke out. Uh, when uh, Mark Zuckerberg said, you know, we'll just build better AI, whatever that means. You know, we'll just make our technologies more efficient or more innovative, I'm paraphrasing there, whatever that means. So when you hear these calls for regulation, I'm not trying to be inherently cynical, but we have to understand that when uh, Sam Altman and OpenAI say, hey, we want regulation, that's a great thing for them because the regulatory apparatus that they would be developing with the state If that was to even be collaborative, would be one that would likely suit them and place them in like a top dog position. Certainly, there's no, there's. uh, We should absolutely not take any bait that the tech industry or the the sort of generative AI industry, which is a small set of players actually, it's some sort of oligopoly I could say, um, would regulate itself. We should not fall to that bait. There are plenty of scholars out there, including my two colleagues here on this show, who know plenty about AI and can actually, uh, if we actually had fiat power or some teeth, and in, in our advice could actually push certain types of regulations that would actually be more innovative because the benefits of these technologies could benefit all of us and benefit our planet.
0: Sarah, I saw you nodding along to a lot of what Ramesh was saying. There, It looks like you wanted to jump in. So go ahead.
2: Yeah, I, I wanted to underscore what Ramesh said both about the value of having a conversation that really foregrounds the public as well as the environmental harms of generative AI systems. I think one thing that's really key to remember is that there's nothing about the future of artificial intelligence that is inevitable. And we have a number of examples to point to where public involvement or public push pushback has effectively shaped the trajectory of AI The one that that sort of struck me as Ramesh was talking was in the Netherlands, Um, You know, local communities were upset about the environmental impact of the construction of data centers that were drawing on their local groundwater supplies, um, both reducing the amount of clean water and polluting the water. Um, And as a result, um, the Netherlands instituted a temporary pause on the construction of data centers for hyperscalers, the kinds of companies that are building generative AI. So I think it's really important to remember that. That kind of pushback is very effective in shaping um, the way that this technology works and to ensure that it's accountable and responsive to the public interest.
0: Uh, Sarah, just to break this down a little bit for our viewers, um, because some of this can get pretty complex when you're talking about generative AI systems. How is that differentiated from other AI systems that we're all using in our daily lives right now?
2: It's a great question, and I think it's important to always sort of ground discussions about AI in their material reality. AI as a field has been around for over 70 years, almost 80 years, and it's meant very different things over the course of that history. What we're talking about with AI in the present day is a set of data-centric technologies that rely on massive um, uh, pools of data, look for patterns within them, and they run on a large scale computational power. And these are resources that only the largest tech companies um, really have access to. Now, generative AI functions within that sort of like same definitional space, it's, it works in, in roughly the same way. Um, but instead of looking for patterns within text, to say, recommend a, a decision, um, it's uh, using those patterns to replicate patterns of human speech or to generate images um, that look similar to other images within the data set. So same same basic principle, mm. only it's about the creation of, of text that, you know, again, mimics the way that we talk, it doesn't have the deeper contextual understanding.
0: All right, let's just take a step back for a moment and look at some of the other concerns being raised about AI right now. Investment bank Goldman Sachs says AI could affect 300 million jobs, but it may also mean a productivity boom, increasing the total value of goods and services produced globally by 7%. The rapid growth of this technology is raising concern. According to a Reuters-Ipsos poll, 61% of Americans believe it could threaten civilization. So, uh, Ramesh, let me start with you here. The technology's capacity to perform human functions raising concern about the threat that it poses to millions of jobs. What industries in particular, what jobs in particular are most at risk right now?
3: Many, many industries. Any industry, at at least when we're talking about uh, the open AI, GPT, generative AI models, we're talking about almost any job. And and I want to really think about workers and people here in this discussion and people around the planet um, whose work relies upon drafting or authoring or sort of writing oriented jobs or service oriented jobs. So you can imagine call center workers, uh, content moderator workers, uh, administrative work, legal assistant work, how this might affect the insurance industry and so on. So, you know, there are material specific, very, very direct, present, you know, clear and present challenges, let's call them that, issues that are facing us right now. So we really need to think as this technology rolls out, how workers are going to be protected around the world and or the macroeconomics associated with this, because already, you know, we live in a world where uh, eight people have equivalent wealth to 4 billion. Many of those eight are connected to the vectors of new technology. So I think it's extremely important that we think about what our jobs of the future are going to look like and an economic sort of, um, how the economy globally Mm. is going to be shaped by this. I think it's worth noting also that content moderators who are working with GPT are being paid you know, pennies on the dollar, so to speak, and are in Nairobi, Kenya. And this is the same pattern the tech industry has followed for many years, for example, with exploited uh, PTSD-inducing content moderation work in the Philippines and other places Mm -hmm. uh, that were connected to Facebook, which you all have reported on.
0: Uh, David, this uh, Reuters-Ipsos poll that I mentioned a few minutes ago, it says that 61% of Americans believe AI could threaten civilization. From your perspective, why has the level of alarm around AI been growing so much these past few months?
1: I think the main reason that it's been growing is because of progress in AI capabilities, specifically with ChatGPT and GPT-4. So I think historically, a lot of researchers were willing to dismiss these risks as too far off to worry about, which, by the way, I think is a big mistake. And I wish that we were uh, taking climate change seriously when the consequences were decades off, for instance. And I think we're at risk of making the same mistake here. Um, But I think a lot of researchers recently saw the progress that has been made um, by scaling up existing methods and decided that actually maybe powerful AI systems, that is systems that are smarter than people and able to take control if they, for some reason, were to do that um, might be coming in a matter of years or decades. And so it's something that we urgently need to work on now. I think another factor is probably just looking at sort of the the race to deploy these systems despite uh, known issues that uh, the other guests have mentioned and sort of a um, failure of sort of responsibility on the part of the large developers in big tech. And so I think a lot of people were hoping and expecting that this technology would both progress slower and also be deployed more responsibly. Um, I actually wanted to respond to a few things that came up earlier as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I think the conversation we've had here is is fairly characteristic of how this conversation has gone in the past, where, you know, we're talking about a bunch of different risks um, and nobody else is really addressing you know, the elephant in the room, which is this mm. extinction risk. And I think I've given my reason for that, which is I think people have said you know, um, maybe it's too far off or it just doesn't seem that plausible. But what we're seeing now is that a growing number of researchers, including some of the most prominent AI scientists um, and not just uh, big tech CEOs, but over a hundred AI professors, such as myself, saying this is a serious concern. And in fact, it's a priority to start working on it now. So we need to plan ahead, even if we think these risks are years or decades away. Um, And I don't view this as something that needs to compete for attention with addressing the present day risks. I don't think this is a zero sum game for attention. I think we all want regulation. We have Mm. to have discussions about what kind of regulation. Um, But I think actually the more uh, focus that the rest of society has on AI and its impacts both the present impact and the future ones anticipating Mm. what could be coming down the line, the better. And I think that also benefits everyone who's working on any of these risks uh, to have society more clued in and paying more attention.
0: So, David, if we're talking about um, the need for regulation and, as you said, the extinction risk that should be addressed, uh, we know that there are lots of governments right now that are trying to figure out ways to regulate. Uh, We know that the EU is currently at the forefront of all this. They're uh, trying to uh, enact what they're calling the AI Act. They're hoping to get that passed by the end of the year. But that wouldn't go into effect for at least two to three years from now at the earliest. So how much concern is there that AI, which is progressing at this breathtaking pace, that uh, it's developing faster than it can be controlled uh, and, and that it's developing at a much quicker pace than the discussions that are going on right now to try to regulate it?
1: I think there's a lot of concern. That's, that's uh, I guess, coming back to my point about how we need to start now. I mean, I, I've said in other interviews that I think this letter is overdue, and I think it's really um, really a shame and reflects poorly on the machine learning research community that we weren't having this discussion more earlier. So even if you don't think that advanced AI, sometimes called AGI for general intelligence, which is go- something that uh, a hypothetical future system that can do everything that people can do, even if you don't see why that might be a risk, which I think most people can understand why there is at least some concern there. But if you don't think it's a risk, I think you still owe it to the public to communicate that when we're talking about this being far away, we're still talking about a matter of decades in a lot of cases. And that's something that could be happening within our lifetimes, um, even for people who think it's far off. And I think this is going to be an incredibly transformative technology. And what we've seen so far with chatbots and with all of the deployment that AI has seen in a number of sectors is really just scratching the surface of where this technology could go. And Mm. I think most people in the field understand this. And uh, I'm not sure why they haven't been communicating this to the public more in Mm. the past. But I think it's great that now we're seeing that happen more
0: hmm Uh, sarah so if we're talking about um how this will be regulated going forward you're obviously going to need international cooperation in order to regulate ai i want to ask you about how difficult that's going to be because countries that are developing legislation they're going to need to cooperate with each other they're going to need to cooperate with countries that they are in competition with one example of course is the u.s and china i mean are these countries going to be able to work together to do this
2: Well, I think what's been helpful is that regulators um, around the globe are standing up and and paying attention. Um, And also that they've recognized that you know, seeing greater accountability within the tech industry is in the national interest. There's been a rise in attention to um, industrial policy for the the tech industry um, and putting um, accountability at at the center. Now, there's ongoing dialogues between regulators um, that have been happening for for quite some time around tech related issues. We are seeing different um, different rulings um, take place. Um, Microsoft, Activision being one one case in point where the eu came down differently from from the uk um but i think what's what's important is that there's you know a global consensus um that regulation of the tech industry is in the broad public interest um mm. and you know ongoing dialogues that are uh, facilitating that kind of of conversation to move forward ramesh
0: it looked to me in the last couple of minutes like you wanted to jump in so please
2: go ahead
3: Yeah. I mean, I just think two major issues. First of all, I just want to be very clear that these systems, when I I speak of these systems, I mean open AI and other sort of generative AI systems are not intelligent in the way humans are, despite the fact that they can mimic human intelligence and and in cases sort of fool us to think that they are intelligent. They're not creative. They're not necessarily associated with meaning making, which is and those two questions questions I think are very, very important to think about today. I think the other issue I want to mention is when we talk about sort of extinction in relation to these technologies, I think it's very, very important we actually look at the scenarios by which those concerns are actually really valid. Um, Otherwise, if we focus on a sort of alarmist frame rather than looking at the specific ways in which these technologies are threatening aspects of our lives around this planet, we actually block our ability to actually take the type of aggressive action that's needed right now. So I think we're all on the same page that action is needed now. The Mm -hmm. question is, is what are the harms and risks and what are the ways in which we can innovate forward so that not only the industry is advancing, but actually all of our lives are advancing Mm -hmm. as well in relation
1: to these technologies.
0: David, we have less than a minute, but I know you wanted to get a point in there. So please go ahead.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, so first of all, I think if anyone wants to claim these systems are not creative, I just encourage listeners to go out and play with them themselves. You can get them to generate all sorts of interesting things. So I think they certainly show some form of creativity. I don't know if there's some mystical notion of creativity or meaning making uh, besides that, that they're lacking, but I don't think that they require anything like that to pose a risk. Uh, and second of all, I guess this point about focusing on concrete risks, you know, the problem is that we're talking about risks that are coming years down the line that we want to start preparing for now. And I Mm -hmm. don't have a crystal ball, so I can't say exactly what form it's going to take. But I think we do have to worry that AI systems are going to get smarter than people Mm. and that's going to mean that we're going to lose our ability to control them and that's going to mean that we might go extinct. So what do we do about that now? Well, I think Mm. we should maybe be less focused on innovating and more focused on what can we do to control the development of more powerful AI systems and how can we use the Mm -hmm. systems and uh, capabilities we already have for socially Mm -hmm. beneficial things instead of just racing to make AI smarter and smarter, Mm. which a lot of the field is still focused on doing.
0: All right. We have run out of time, so we're going to have to leave the conversation there. Thanks so much to all of our guests, David Kruger, Sarah Myers-West, and Ramesh Srinivasan. This episode was produced by Priyanka Gupta, Abdurrahman Chelik, Abla Kla, and Gemma Harris. Studio sound was by Eli Alhani. The program was edited by Anir Sarkar, Lynn Nguyen, and Joe DeFrias. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. Thank you for listening. Tune in on Friday for our next edition.
1: This week on The Take, how far did Tina Turner's global success extend beyond the U.S.? That's The Take by Al Jazeera. Find it wherever you get your podcasts.